Counting calories is out. Weight loss is an internal game, what I like to call weight release, and it all starts from within. You're listening to Confidence Strong Within, a podcast for women ready to feel good about their bodies, rediscover their confidence, and share their brilliance with the world. I am your host, Juliana Lehman, mind-body weight release expert and lifelong health seeker. And I am so pleased to have you here. Let's get started. You're listening to episode number 171 of Confidence From Within podcast. And as always, I am your host, Juliana Lehman. And my very special guest today is Chantel McNeely. And I am particularly excited about this conversation because it isn't a topic of financial confidence, which is not a topic that we have discussed too much before on the show. And Chantel, as you're going to learn, is the perfect person to come to us to share not only a female perspective on the topic, but also a very empowering one. We talk about going beyond just having knowledge of your finances all the way to actually trusting yourself to take action. We talk about the beautiful connection between our physical and our financial health. And both Chantal and I see a lot of overlaps between our weight release journey as well as our financial wealth abundance journey. And in this uh, conversation, we sort of go over some of those to put it in perspective for you, which I think was just very cool. We also talk about navigating fears when it comes to making big financial decisions or deciding to go from saving to investing. And Chantal go over what she calls the affluence circle, which is a very good concept. And I love those mental frameworks so that we can organize information and uh, we go over what does it look like and how it is applicable to you. And lastly, one of my favorite topics <laughs> that we got to discuss as well, which is the topic of wealth itself. So I asked Chantal to define wealth and our conversation really went beyond just our bank accounts, which I think is such an important message for women to hear as well as practice. So we are definitely in for a treat and lastly, of course, building wealth is just half of the journey. And Chantal does a brilliant job at explaining, okay, what happens at the second half of our lives and how to actually navigate the financial reality of retirement. And she uses a great analogy that's very parallel to a lot of the analogies I make on this podcast in terms of your weight journey that by the time you get to the top of the mountain, you know, coming down the mountain on the other side, either into retirement or into, you know, maintaining your weight release. That is also a very important skill to be very clear and strategic about. So we also cover that in this episode. So stay until the end so you don't miss anything. So let me properly introduce you to Chantel and then we will jump right in. Chantel is driven by her three guiding principles of integrity, authenticity, and impact. She has spent almost two decades in the financial services industry, but her roots in industry go back to over four decades. Growing up as the daughter of a financial advisor, Chantal was exposed to the wealth management business from a young age. She has worked at some of the largest wealth management firms in the world and has had the opportunity to live and work across North America. 
Chantal is passionate about addressing the three main gender gaps that affect women as it relates to money, the gender advice gap, the gender investing gap, and the gender security gap. Through her curious nature and innovative research on this topic, she was nominated the Wealth Professional Canada as Women Innovator of the Year in 2018 and Diversity Ambassador of the Year by Women in Finance 2019. In 2020, Chantal was awarded a Discretionary Management Award for firm's leadership team. And in 2021, she received the Executive Leadership Award awarded to women who have made exceptional contributions to the firm and demonstrate outstanding work. Without any further ado, here is Chantal. Hi, Chantal. Welcome to the show. I am very pleased to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's my honor to be here. And to get us started, I always love to ask the question to our guests, how do you define confidence? So let's start there. And then I would love for you to pull in how does financial confidence plays in that picture for you? Great. Yeah, this is a a near and dear to my heart question because um, being in the industry for so long and maybe I always carried myself with external confidence but I really, really struggled with internal confidence um, for a very long time. It's still a work in process. Mm -hmm. And so as I've worked on that, I realized that, you know, confidence is built by, um, you know, keeping small promises to yourself, Mm -hmm. whether that was like fitness promises or financial promises, and you begin to trust yourself and trust your intuition. And over time, by keeping those little promises to yourself, you kind of build that internal confidence. Um, And I think that leads right into your second question about financial confidence is that, you know, in my role, what I've seen working with women for almost two decades is that that's one of the biggest gaps that we see. Um, A lot of women have the knowledge they need and the tools they need um, to be financially empowered but they lack the confidence because they have either ex, you know, um, outsourced the decision-making about investments to yeah. a spouse or a partner, or they've said, you know, oh, I'm just not good at investing or this is too complicated for me. Um, and so over time, because they don't engage in those decisions or those discussions, they lose that internal confidence. So then what I see in later stages of life, if they become divorced or widowed, they almost become paralyzed because they don't trust themselves anymore to put the knowledge that they have into action. So I think, you know, that confidence piece is really keeping these small promises to yourself, whether it's your health goal or your fitness goal or your career goal, your finance goal. And over time, you'll, you know, begin to trust the decisions that you're making. Mm, absolutely. In terms of your experience, why do you feel that you had that gap in between the external confident image that you were able to project versus how you felt inside? Yeah, I guess, you know, I hate the term imposter syndrome because it's something we're trying to get away from as women. And I realized, you know, listening to so many mentors and experienced uh, people that I look up to that we all feel that way, like no matter who we're looking at, no matter how successful they are, Mm -hmm. if you engage with them authentically, they'll probably say to you, I struggled with imposter syndrome, (laughs) right? And so I think that uh, may play into it. 
Um, you know, and I started in the industry very young. You know, it is a male-dominated industry. So I would kind of always look around and maybe just like I didn't necessarily look like my colleagues or dress like my colleagues or conduct business the same as my colleagues. And then that would become very intimidating to me. I would try and change my style, my authentic style, because I felt like, okay, well, this is the way that I need to be to succeed. And I think over time, I kind of lost like a little bit of who that authentic self was. And then once I started to reclaim that, all of a sudden the confidence appeared. So I think as we talk to women about, you know, owning their authentic voice and their authentic selves, I feel like that's where the confidence is found when we're trying to kind of live a life that uh, might be one that society expects or our partner expects or our parents expected. Um, We're not really kind of projecting our authentic selves. And so, you know, for me, that felt like I didn't feel as confident as maybe I should be in my abilities. Yeah, absolutely. And that is actually completely in alignment with the mission of this podcast that I like Mm -hmm. to think of lack of confidence as feedback of our entire body, mind and spirit telling us we're in in a way in lacking of authenticity, like we're not being truthful and honest to our very inner essence. And I think it is such a beautiful gauge that as you get closer to honoring who you are, then you feel more confident, right? And I think it's just this beautiful, you explained it in a very beautiful way, realization that it already exists within and that's the whole kind of topic on the podcast. So yeah, thank you for putting the finances in, in context to that as well. And, you know, from what I know about you and your work that you have, you know, three main pillars, the one pillar that I would like for you to sort of talk to us a little bit more, given our audience is really the whole gender security gap that you see is in relation to women in finances and wealth building and kind of touching on, you know, retirement and things of that nature. Yeah. So um, I'll just quickly highlight the three gaps and then Mm -hmm. I'll focus on the second two. Mm -hmm. Um, The first that I talk about is uh, the gender advice gap. So Mm -hmm. only 15 to 20 percent of investment advisors in North America are women. And, you know, I've worked with uh, over 10,000 advisors in my career across North America. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can basically, well, I can tell you that, um, gender of an advisor does not define capability on either side of the spectrum, but when surveyed 87% of women say they can't find a financial advisor that they connect with. And I do sometimes think, is it just because, you know, a female advisor may conduct business in a slightly different way that can engage that authentic connection? Um, And that could lead to what we say is the gender investing gap. So women tend to save at the same rates as men, but they invest less of those dollars. And so what I mean by that is, you know, a woman and a man may be saving at the same rate, let's say they're putting away $500 a month each to save for their future. Mm -hmm. But a woman will put that in a savings account or something that's guaranteed. And Mm -hmm. a man may invest that into the market. And although it does not seem like a huge disparity at the beginning, um, you know, that idea of compounding our returns over a lifetime leads to this gender uh, security gap, which is that women are 80% more likely to live in poverty 
in retirement Mm -hmm. um, as a result. So there's a few things that lay into how we get to that security gap. Investing is one, right? We invest less than our male counterparts. We do have to acknowledge that women uh, still earn less. Um, We take time out of the workplace to either uh, be mothers or care for aging parents. Um, And so that can contribute. But really, when you look at the data, um, you know, all of those gaps tend to then magnify over time. And that investing piece is one that I think we don't focus on enough. I mean, I know as women, we understand now that we live longer. (laughs) We, you know, are the ones that um, bear children, that we may take on more responsibilities with caring for family members in need. So, and we earn less. I think we all are aware of those, of those challenges that may be a uh, for women. But I think what we're less aware of is what we can do to take action to mitigate those things that we cannot control in order to change the outcome of how we can be empowered to take control over our financial future. And I think that is one of the most important messages that we need to share. Um, yeah. One of the things that I've noticed over being in the industry over 20 years is I find that the messaging is, has been very much, you know, what women need to do to change, you know, we need to save more or spend less or budget more, Uh, shifting that responsibility back on us as we need to change our behaviors. And when you look at the content that's there for women, when it looks at financial literacy, it's about budgeting and saving and, Mm -hmm. you know, scarcity, not spending on this. But if you look at literature that's out there for men, it's about investing or learning about the market or (laughs) how to, you know, compound your returns. And so I think um, we need to start shifting that narrative to help women build their confidence in that you know, it's completely up to you to define what you value and spend your money in terms of your values. But also, um, I think what's really important, and it's very similar to, um, you know, what you talk to clients about on a health journey, because I think there's so many relationships between building financial health and building our physical or mental health, is this quote I love to continue to remind myself is, Discipline is putting off what we want now for what we want most later. And I think, (laughs) you know, uh, if we think about it from an investing portion, it may be, okay, I'm going to put this money away and I'm going to invest it instead of purchasing something today that might bring me joy because I have bigger goals of where I want to see myself in the future. And yeah. I think the same thing is with health, right? Like yeah. I might really want to, um, you know, eat this giant chocolate cake today, but instead could I just have a tiny little slice or two bites or something and put off that desire to have it right now so that over time in the future, I'm not always struggling or shaming myself for making, you know, a not optimal <laughs> health <laughs> choice, yes. right? Absolutely. And I think something that I love about the work and the bigger mission as well of your work is really that proactive aspect of things and proactive in the sense that, you know, like I said, somebody when they get to retirement age or they have a divorce later in life, it is a much 
more difficult gap to fill, right? If that's when they're starting to, you know, bring some financial literacy into their lives versus starting from exactly where they are and just like enriching their lives with such. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously as a woman, but just being exposed to so many professionals within the industry, um, I feel that women, you know, they want to be talked to and not um, be talked down to. And it can be a very intimidating conversation, (laughs) right? There's lots of, um, you can Google it, but like women would rather talk about anything else in their life um, than money, right? Um, I met a woman at a women's conference the other day. We had this great conversation. We're going to do this follow-up. And she's like, yeah, and I want to talk to you about all these things, anything but money. And I was like, okay, great. Like, um, that's fine because I'm still a person outside of my job. But I think all of a sudden, um, you know, and there's conditioning and cultural things that play into why we have these perceptions about money or these fears discussing money. Um, But I think, you know, part of the reason is that the industry has not seemed as accessible to women in terms of the way we communicate the language. And that was one of the things that, you know, where I felt unconfident in the beginning, starting my career almost 20 years ago, because I would sit in those meetings and I'm like, I have the education, you know, I have the same education that everybody's sitting in this room, but I'm not following (laughs) the way they're (laughs) talking about it. And it sounds like they're overcomplicating a topic. And so one of the most amazing things I learned midway through my career, and it was a very complex financial product that I was responsible for distributing in Canada. And um, the manager of this product basically said to me, you know, when he was looking at ideas to be submitted for this product, he looked at his team and said, he always asked the same five questions and they were very simple. And his rule was, if you can't explain it simply, you don't know it well enough. And I think sometimes um, it can be intimidating if we're watching the news or we put on BNN and it's all this complicated stuff and we feel really overwhelmed, but we bring it back to the basics. Um, And women, you know, we spend a majority of the consumerism dollars, right? If I said to you, invest in a brand that you love, that you know, that you spend your money at as a consumer, people would understand that, you know, I explained mm-hmm. to women like, oh, well, you know, maybe look at Shoppers Drug Mart, for example, and Loblaws, that's the same company, but I can't draw- <laughs> walk into Shoppers Drug Mart without spending over $100, just like, oh, this looks cool, this looks cool. So if I do that, like, maybe other people are doing that, right? And you don't yeah. need to make it so complicated. It could be align, you know, your investment philosophy with the brands that you align yourself with because you understand them, right? Um, Because you have a relationship with them because you already invest your hard-earned dollars into them as a consumer. Um, Why not consider investing in them as an investor, right? Mm -hmm. Like Starbucks or Lululemon or any (laughs) of those types of companies, Apple, Netflix, like companies that you use every day, you understand why you use them as a consumer. Yeah. And so that same philosophy of why you use that product as a consumer is going to be the same philosophy as uh, why, you know, other people might use it. And me mentioning yeah. those names is not any uh, advice in terms of um, <laughs> right. purchases. It's just talking about how to think about 
um, investing from a different perspective, from the perspective of a landscape of a consumer versus an investor. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that perspective. And it's a very empowering way of thinking of it as well, that I think it's a lot more relatable than maybe some of the big language, right? That sometimes we hear in the investment world. Now, I wanted to bring to something that you mentioned briefly at the beginning of that beautiful relationship between our health and our, I'll say, financial health as well as physical health. And I know it's part of your um, affluent circle. So we're going to get to that in a little bit. But let's start maybe a little bit more big picture. What are some of the links in both you and I differently, but in the same way, had pretty severe health struggles from, you know, really pushing and putting our careers um, potentially ahead of our physical needs for some time and life, you know, has humbled myself at least. And I have Mm -hmm. a very different lifestyle now because of it. But looking at women that, you know, are still in that preventive way that they can still make positive changes right before it's too late, either physically or financially. What are some of those connections that you see in between our physical health and our financial health? Yeah, so for me, I believe it's all interconnected, right? And there is a lot of research out there to back it up that financial stress can cause a lot of physical health issues, right? From anxiety to depression to heart disease. Um, And so most people, especially right now with the way the economy is, are feeling very stretched, um, you know, from a financial perspective or stressed. And so that plays out into our physical health. And I don't think I necessarily... Um, fully embrace the concept of how interconnected it was mm-hmm. until, as you mentioned, like I went through a major uh, life shift that was kind of brought on by uh, the physical and mental health, not only of dealing with my father, who was also a financial advisor, um, becoming uh, mentally incapacitated at a very, you know, relatively young age. He was 69 yeah. with his diagnosis. Um, And that really kind of threw everything that I thought about planning for your future. Um, You know, it just everything I'd learned and planned for just seemed to be tipped upside down on its head. Um, And then my own myself um, facing a health, you know, condition as well. And I, I feel that for the first you know, 15 or so years of my career, I, I, I definitely did sacrifice my mental and physical health um, to earn money, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That was what was driving me. And that was what was important to me. And I think since COVID, I kind of tried to relook at that and say, but why, right? Like, and one of the things that I have the beauty of um, working with clients across generations, is that I've had this revelation that, you know, between our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, even our 50s, we're all very driven to building, you know, our financial wealth, right? And each person to their own individual desires. But it tends to be a goal, right? We're working, and we're saving and we're, you know, we're, that's our highest consumerism years. Um, But I'll say that all of the clients that I have over the age of 70, the wealth loses value in a sense that not that it doesn't mean the same thing. It just means that I think uh, they would give it all back 
to have their physical health. And so we sacrifice a lot of our mental and physical health to earn money and to build our financial nest egg. But then once it's there, um, it becomes less important in the fact that if we don't have our health, all of that planning we've done um, isn't benefiting us. So in my own family's example, my dad was a great planner. He built a successful business and I'm grateful that my mom will be taken care of, um, you know, and my dad can get great care for his health condition. Yeah. But I look and say, you know, I'm sure my dad would have really loved to be able to take those vacations with my mom that they always planned, but put off because, you know, it wasn't the right time in the markets. It wasn't right time in the business. There was all these other external stresses with family and, and that always can take a priority, but that's shifted my perspective into say, not just, you know, YOLO and we, we don't want (laughs) to plan for the future, but we also don't want to push off everything that we value today for a someday, because if we're not making our mental and physical health a priority, that someday may not look like what we planned, right? So um, I did not plan my dad's retirement years to be spent in long-term care, but that's a reality of of what the situation is. And I think um, I've kind of made a promise to myself um, that I, even though as an ambitious woman, sometimes it's hard to turn that off, um, to say, you know, I will no longer sacrifice my mental and physical health purely for financial gain, right? There's got to be a balance. And that's where um, I talk about that whole affluence circle where those three, you know, circles of ourselves, ourself, that could be, you know, your empowerment or everything you view in your self bucket, um, your mental, your spiritual, you know, health, your physical, like your health, and then your overall financial or your wealth. And where they intersect in the center, like the bullseye, I call that your affluence circle. And a lot of times, you know, people would say, oh, affluence, they think of money and cars and, you know, um, a lot of there's negative connotations, I think, sometimes for women when we use that word. And the reason I continue to use it is if you actually look up the definition, it means flowing towards a stated goal and objective. And I believe that it's all in flow, whether it's our physical health journey, that is a flow. Um, We are not always optimal and we kind of fall off the wagon and we jump back on and it's about continuing on the journey and not shaming ourselves from where we are. And I think the same approach is for our financial health, right? Life throws a lot of curveballs at you. Um, And we're not expecting them. And so when those curveballs happen, what we need to do is say, okay, this is a period of time, but it's not forever. And so I can continue on these disciplined habits and that will change over time if I just consistently show up, right? The problem is I think sometimes we're like, oh, okay, you know, I went through a divorce. I'm in this terrible financial position now. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's so daunting to take control of that situation because we're looking at the whole staircase, right? We're not looking at the one, what's the first step I need to do. We're looking at this daunting vertical (laughs) staircase and we're like, I can't do that. Right. And so um, 
whenever I speak to women, I, I explain it, you know, like running a marathon, like you're never going to run a marathon by reading books. You can read every book about how to train like an Olympic marathon yeah. runner. But if you don't put on your running shoes, you're not going to cross the finish line. And I think that's the same with financial literacy. I believe that financial confidence is, you know, the term we should be using in that literacy means we have the knowledge, right? You can read every wow. book on investing and the stock market and be overwhelmed and have all the knowledge. But if you don't actually take the first step, that knowledge is not going to drive the outcome that you're looking for, whether yeah. it's running a marathon or building an investment portfolio, you first have to lace up those shoes, right? You mm. have to have the courage to start. And that's where I think um, that holds women back a little bit is that fear of taking the first step. Because what I see when I look with work with young women and young men that are both equally saving, um, what I notice the main difference is the young man might be investing that dollars and the young woman is saving just as much, but she's afraid to invest it. And then even when she gets advice, then she goes, you know, to ask her friends and her family and her parents and gets different opinions from everybody and then starts to lose trust in herself to say, oh, hold on, maybe I'll just keep it where it is. And the thing is, the longer that we wait to take that first step, yeah. the harder it is for us to overcome, right? Like, Absolutely. so wherever you are in your journey, starting now is great. But if you can start, you know, investing when you're 18 years old, it really only takes you less than, you know, $100 a month to become a millionaire when you're mm -hmm. 65. Yeah. But the longer we put off that journey, the more money we would be required to invest every month and the harder or the steeper that staircase becomes, right? Yeah. And so the message I think is is really to have that confidence no matter where you are to at least start don't think about the whole big picture but but just to think about the first step absolutely and so something that kind of comes to mind that i wanted to add when you're talking about like a journey and the you know working really hard early on right to really build wealth and all those things and in, in compromise of health one of the things that i have over the years in my own journey recognized it, and that has worked for me is really extending the time horizon, meaning that I, I've always felt that I never had enough time. Therefore, I always had to go 100 miles an hour. I have like a type A personality, very mm -hmm. ambitious as well. And I think it wasn't until I thought, okay, I'm hyper-focused. I love what I do. I made difficult choices to even be able to say this. And mm -hmm. now, instead of thinking in quarters and months, I think in decades in terms of the impact and so on. And that, I think, will be applicable as well, no matter how old our listener, listeners are in terms of accomplishing our goals. And I think as we expand the time horizon, I think we become less reactive in the moment. And for me, I'm able to take bigger steps and bigger risks because I know, okay, I, I have the time because the time constraint I put on myself before was completely just in my head, right? And I wonder how that also applies when it comes to investing. Investments is the long game, right? So the more, more comfortable we become with playing long games, I think if we apply that to finances as well, it may give women a little bit more breathing room to say, okay, I can learn, I can start, and I take those first steps, like you mentioned.
Yeah, I think that is uh, such an amazing point because I myself um, have kind of done the same thing. Like I was always a goal oriented person, right? So I always had five year goals like in this, I'm going to be here in five (laughs) years, I'm going to be here in five years. And then every time I hit that goalpost, the goalpost moved higher. And it was only, you know, I think there's something beautiful about uh, when you're over 40. But um, for me, I kind of shifted because I was always like, I have to accomplish this before 40 or this before 50. And now I look at my life as like, I'm going to accomplish it all. I don't know when that goal is going to be done, but I, I believe I see it in decades. And I also am just comfortable, you know, at the place where I'm at, right? That it's not um, trying to get to the next step on the journey. I'm just trying to be present in the space mm-hmm. of the journey that I'm at and then know that, okay, this is the goal that I have. But instead of taking months or quarters, um, I'm thinking in decades as well. And it's just given me a whole fresh perspective. I also find that by extending that horizon, I'm actually meeting those goals faster, (laughs) maybe just because I don't have that internal like self-doubt and pressure on myself that would literally keep me up with anxiety. (laughs) Like I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do it all right now. Um, Now I think, you know, I will do this. It just might not be right now. Yeah. And so I think, um, there's two quotes that I think about. One was a Benet Brown, where um, I love where she says, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you can't have them both at the same time. <laughs> so I feel like for women, like sometimes, you know, um, me and you both kind of left more like secure corporate type roles um, yeah. to build a business we were passionate about. And that took a lot of courage. Um, but it's harder to walk away from that comfort because we're as humans, like we like to be comfortable, right? That's why it's hard for us to (laughs) implement a new diet routine or implement an investment routine or move to a new place or start a new job because it, you know, you get comfortable. Why do I want to rock the boat? So sometimes we need to choose courage, but what I needed to recognize as well is that it's okay to be in comfort for periods as well too because your body needs to reset from constantly like in that stress adrenaline mode and say, okay, now is my time to nurture and be in comfort. And then next, you know, I'm going to have a plan and there's going to be a place where I'm going to level up and I need to choose courage again. And I know that's coming, but maybe it doesn't all have to be like this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Something that I love that one of my business mentors talks about is that the higher you climb in, in this concept, the metaphorical mountain of life, the the thinner the air becomes, right? And the more you need to allow your lungs to adjust to the altitude again mm-hmm. and again and again, but also the less people make it right up the mountain, you know, the taller you go. Yeah. And I think that's a good concept because a lot of times I think some of us just expect mm-hmm. to be many steps ahead of the mountain, carrying even a heavier backpack and, you know, and just not necessarily allow for just like the progression of things and a more, you know, being in the present moment rather than always sort of projecting living in the future. So even from a stress regulation standpoint, I think that advice is said about presence and really like really having appreciation for where we are, even if we can see the steps in the journey, I think it's really valid to even just calm down the nervous system and have Mm -hmm. a better 
experience of health and vitality for the years to come as well. And Chantal, the other aspect that I want to talk to you about. So still looking at your three bubbles of the affluent circle, meaning Mm -hmm. where all three um, collide in the middle. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit about wealth and to kind of get us started there. Define to me how you define wealth. Yeah. So I think a lot of times when we talk about wealth, people think, oh, what's the size of your investment portfolio, right? And there's so many more facets to that. You know, there's even so many more facets of my role with clients, right? Because it's it's very holistic. And, um, you know, so I think, yes, obviously there is the financial wealth, which might be like an investment portfolio or your real estate portfolio or your business. But there's also that holistic wealth where, you know, a lot of my conversations with my clients are how do you want to age and what does healthy aging look like to you and what type of care do you want to have and what is your legacy going to be and why is that important to you and it takes um I think then people are intimidated of like you know we have this old school view of like oh I'm gonna go meet with an investment professional and they're gonna you know, tell me which stocks to recommend. And, and the industry has really changed into taking this holistic view of, of um, not only the individual, but their whole family and family, Mm -hmm. like for generations, right? So there are some clients where I am kind of now introducing, like, you know, the youngest or the fourth generation, that is maybe a great grandchild, but starting by, you know, uh, an educational savings plan for them. So seeing wealth through the eyes of, you know, multi-generation, it really does change, um, you know, the perspective of, of what we view it as. And I think wealth can be defined to you as, as what you value. And there's no kind of ideal number, like this is the number I have to hit. And I think just as you customize all of your programs specifically for women, you know, the conversations I have with every client are completely unique because all of our definitions of wealth is unique. What may seem like, you know, uh, wealth to one person may seem like nothing to another and vice versa, right? So that customized approach to understand, like, how do you define wealth? What do you value? What is the purpose of this wealth? Because if it's just a number on a statement, Um, it's not necessarily driving that holistic wealth, right? And so I think a lot of times, especially through social media, I feel that we're projecting, you know, that that one view of wealth, which Mm -hmm. is the financial wealth. And sometimes it's the, you know, physical or, or wealth as well. But I feel like we're not necessarily looking kind of behind the scenes or deeper into the surface of saying, Like, what does that mean to the person? Are we projecting the right things? Are we trying to keep up with the Joneses? But we really don't know anything about the Joneses situation, right? And one thing that I'm privileged um, in my role is that I am involved in every aspect of my client's life. You know, I am there for their highest highs and their lowest lows. And I can tell you that, Uh, Some of the people that, you know, sit in my office, if people just saw them, right, as a number on a spreadsheet, they might be like, oh, they're so lucky, or I'm so jealous, or, you know, I wish I could have what they have. 
from a financial wealth standpoint. But if you really understood the struggles and the stories and the intricacies of who they are as a person, um, you know, you may define wealth differently. And uh, one of my mentors, um, you know, gave this quote that I really love to kind of come back to for my own self, because she said, you know, you're only jealous of part of a person, right? Mm -hmm. Like only the part that you (laughs) see, but there are so many other facets of what makes up that individual story. And maybe if you knew the whole story, you may not trade places. And so I think, you know, a lot of times, especially when it comes to wealth, we look at that outward image of wealth, what we can see, a house, a car, a designer bag, and we're like, oh, okay, I want that. That's wealth. Um, but we don't necessarily understand the sacrifice that went into building that um, or all of the other facets of that individual what makes up that individual, right? We separate the money from the individual. And I think when you can feel authentic in yourself to say, I'm happy, I'm fulfilled, I'm healthy mentally, physically, I'm comfortable financially, whatever that means to you, that to me is wealth, right? Yeah, absolutely. And something that I I see a lot in clients, especially because very much like you said, that there's such a almost uh, socially acceptable version of wealth nowadays from what is portrayed out there in the world that I've seen many clients come in and their value is not necessarily on building wealth. Their value is on family, lifestyle, traveling, and both of them come in saying that they want to be financially independent, for example. But the one that is not intrinsically motivated to build wealth, that she rather spend money on her family and the trips, for example, mm-hmm. often carries a lot of guilt because there is this concept that we all should have the same, you know, and goal when it comes to a few things, for example, our physical health, our bank accounts, and so on. Mm-hmm. And what I love what you're saying is that wealth can come in different forms, right? And somebody that's wealthy in their family environment, they're emotionally wealthy, they're very satisfied and content. Maybe their investment portfolio is not going to look like the other person that has a higher value on actual investing and building wealth, but she may also have equally good quality of life and outcomes, right? So I think that uniqueness and what wealth means to us, I think it's an important message as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more in that, you know, maybe my younger self, as I was, you know, climbing a corporate ladder or driven by that, I might have looked at wealth differently as well. And, you know, when I sit, you know, there's no one that I sits across the table with me that's sort of, you know, towards the end of their life being like, Oh, I really wish my investment portfolio was a lot bigger than it is now. (laughs) And I think, you know, there is importance, but it's about driving what we value. And that's a message that I don't think we um, communicate to women, right? I think we shame women for attaching value to maybe material possessions and we make them feel bad. A lot of the market is like, don't buy the latte or you shouldn't Mm -hmm. buy a designer bag or you should be budgeting. And what I've recognized now um, is that one, it is a journey And two, um, you know, I have not made every perfect financial decision in my life. Have I spent money on vacations? That is like something that is the most important to me. Um, Dining out, like that is very important to me. But I, 
I align it to my values, right? Whereas yeah. for me, um, I may put less value on having a designer outfit, but I put a lot of value on eating out for dinner, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at my friends and we all value something. We all value different things. And so mm -hmm. there's no one right way. Our values are all, um, you know, unique to us. And I think if you can think about, um, sometimes I think we're, you know, maybe we're just spending money, you know, we're filling a void or we're trying to keep up with someone else's determination of mm -hmm. values. But I think if you can really sit down and identify your own values in life, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that could be, I love to have a designer handbag, you know, every year. That's an important value to me. Why do I need that? Do I need it for myself or do I need it for external validation? If you need it for yourself because it makes you feel great, that's amazing. That's a value yeah. for you. And maybe you don't value, you know, having a, a bigger home or maybe you don't value buying a new car. You value used cars. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can start to write down your unique values and, you know, spend your money that way, then that aligns. But I also think you can do it all. Um, like sometimes people think, oh, I, I, I'm not focusing on wealth because I'm I'm building wealth because I'm spending all this money, but they don't realize over time that just allocating, you know, $100 a month or $200 a month uh, consistently over time will build that wealth for them. It's not these monumental yeah. decisions. And, and just like you are with clients on health, it's not the monumental shifts that we make Absolutely. that define our success. It is the small micro decisions we make on a daily basis to say, I'll take the stairs instead of the elevator today. Right. And mm -hmm. I'll do that every day versus I'm going to go to the gym for four hours and hurt myself. And then I can't work out for two weeks. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I just show up for 20 day, 20 minutes every day, even, you know, if it's not a hard, intense workout, that is going to be better for my body because it's more consistent. And I mm -hmm. think like building wealth is the same. Like for me, um, I started investing at 23. I wish I started even at 19, but <laughs> it was my dad who had told me, you know, when I was 18, that if I started investing like a dollar a day, um, I would be a millionaire by the time I retired. And I was like, well, that's easy. I can do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like this monumental starting. I just knew, okay, I need to invest a portion of my paycheck. And I started doing that when I was 23 years old and I just kept the percentage the same. When I earned mm -hmm. more income, I kept the percentage the same and it was just discipline. And I spent everything mm -hmm. else that came in after. So it's like, you know, the pay yourself first, right? Yes. It, it went like straight into an investment account. I never saw it into my bank account and I never mm -hmm. adjusted my lifestyle to that additional mm -hmm. money. Yeah. And it just, it just socked away. And I still spent money on all of those things that I value with my family because that money was just, you know, set aside and mm -hmm. you don't see the impacts of it in the first five years or the first 10 years, but 20 years later, I can see the results of that discipline. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I'll tell people, I love that you use that climbing a mountain analogy because I always use that as well. Building wealth is only getting to the peak of the mountain um, where most people end up, you know, faltering on their plan is actually the way down, 
right? Like, mm. so building our wealth till we get to retirement is only half the journey. The other half is how do you successfully navigate living off that wealth for the rest of your life? And so that may be hard for people to conceptualize if they haven't constantly thought about retirement. But a lot of the individuals I work with have been retired 30 or 40 years. So you have to also put into perspective that you may be retired for longer than you are working. And right. so I always use this analogy when I was giving seminars to women to say, you know, think about climbing Everest, right? Everybody thinks when you get to the top of Everest, it's success. <laughs> but most of the death, most of the deaths on the mountain actually happen on the way down. Why? It's because we get to the top. We want to take too many pictures. We don't track our oxygen ready. We've used too much mm -hmm. of our energy to get to that top of the mountain. And then we didn't plan for the way down. And that's sort of where I think, you know, individuals really rely on someone like myself or a professional. It's not like navigating the growth aspect, you know, it's navigating the journey and the journey, you know, for a, a lot of my clients, the investing journey is 60, 70 years long, like they're in their late, you know, mid to late 90s, and they're still navigating this journey and your journey with wealth, just like your journey with health. It's not it's not over, right? It's, yes. it's always it's a lifelong journey. And at any point, you can, you know, fall off track and hit an unexpected, you know, bump in the road that can yeah. really change your plan. And, and my job is to navigate those life events that we cannot control and say, okay, let's reset after this. And like, how do we devise a new plan to generate success on this journey? Yeah. And I'd say that's very much aligned with the whole concept in the weight loss space as well, that, you know, getting to the top of the mountain would be potentially achieving their ideal weight goal. But if we don't successfully find a maintenance strategy that works, that's a lot of times when we see a lot of that progress sort of, you know, return even beyond their starting point. And we see that the, the statistics are not very promising in the weight loss industry in general. And it's very much the concept that it's not just the app, but also the down on the mountain. Such a brilliant point. I'm really glad you kind of brought that as well. And I have one final um a question I'm excited to ask you, I'll put it that way. And it kind of relates to a few things that you've been mentioning, specifically the fact that you have clients anywhere from their teens to their 90s. So the question that I have for you, Chantal, is if you were to, you know, think of yourself 20, 30 years in the future. So Chantal in the future, with the wisdom of your years, what would that, Chantal, <laughs> would tell you today with your current health and vitality? Yeah, I think uh, that Chantel definitely is going to make choices to focus on one, the relationships that bring me joy, mm -hmm. um, because those other things that I've, you know, sacrificed time with those closest to me in order yeah. to focus on my business. Um, so that's something that uh, definitely I will hopefully I've taken my advice. Um, mm -hmm. And again, like, for me, it's a huge focus on my mental and physical health, because going through this experience with my father, I know that money cannot buy those things back. Yeah. And that is one thing, probably the only thing in my life that is within my complete control, right, that I can define my own destiny, I can't 
change my genetics if there's something genetic. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can, within my complete control, you know, show up to, you know, go to the gym to try and make as healthy choices as I can to make sure that I'm not taking on too much. Um, and then from a, you know, from a wealth journey, like, yeah, I'm, I'm ambitious and I, I get motivated uh, about, <laughs> you know, building that, but more for me, it's about the legacy and what the impact of that can do. And so sometimes I think, you know, um, we view wealth as benefiting, you know, the individual or the family, but so many people that I work with uh, are very philanthropic in nature and a hundred percent of their wealth will be donated to charities that align to things that they're passionate about. And so I think uh, viewing it that way is, you know, how do you use the wealth to give back to things that align to your purpose and your values And with that, I'll just, I have this quote on my website. And when I first launched it, I had a friend ask me, be like, I don't understand what this has to do with wealth management. Mm -hmm. And uh, the quote on my website is helping you design a life of affluence filled with what fuels your soul and drives your purpose. And it doesn't really sound like something you're going to see on an investment manager's Mm -hmm. website. And I say, because really the reason that we're building wealth um, you know, is for a purpose that may be greater than ourselves. It might be for our children. It may be for future generations. It may be for our communities. It may be philanthropic in nature. And my role is to kind of step in and, and remove some of that, you know, pressure off individuals from the day-to-day decision-making about their wealth so they can focus on the things that are most important to them, right? So it's yeah. not one or the other. If family is most important to you, well, yeah, like I will handle all of the intricacies of managing the wealth um, and the planning of your wealth. So you can take the time to do those things that really fuel your soul. And that's kind of where I feel, you know, my purpose is aligned in that I am freeing up time and resources for women to focus on those things that bring them joy. They don't have to be the investment professional, right? (laughs) They don't have to have all of the answers. They just have to have that ability to build a relationship and trust that I, my full-time role and my passion and my purpose is fulfilling whatever that wealth goal looks like for them. And their purpose could be, um, time with their family or vacations or all of these things that bring them joy. And I'm just a conduit to that. I'm there to allow them the ability to feel confident that someone else is taking care of this and empowering, helping empower them. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to, they're mutually exclusive, right? You can have both. Um, they can be integrated. I love it. And that was such a fantastic conversation, very empowering, which I knew, you know, bringing you here that that would be the joy and the vibe that it would bring. So thank you so much for your beautiful perspective on this topic and tell our listeners where they can go to find you online. 
Yeah, so you can uh, find me on my website. Uh, it's www.chantelmcneely.com. Um, and if you're interested in joining a community of financially empowered women um, on the community tab on my website, you can sign up for the community. Um, we'll, you know, just launching, but hosting, you know, quarterly events, um, you know, newsletters. And I'd love to bring in individuals that speak to that holistic wealth of a woman's experience, not just the investment stuff, because no one wants to read a newsletter that's purely about investments. Yes. But how do we define our individual wealth that encompasses all aspects of who we are? Mm, beautiful. And I'll make sure to put the link in the show notes as well to make it easy for anyone uh, to click. Thank you again, Chantal, for your time. This is such a pleasure. And I'm so grateful to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Confidence From Within. If you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at naturally.joyous and I will be sure to tag you back. I would also love for you to leave us a review on iTunes so you can help us support our show. Stay healthy and happy and until next time. <laughs>